Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. When you came in, you should have gotten a half sheet of paper that says Life Notes at the top, and uh, if you'll pull that out. We're in our study of the, the book of 1 Peter, and we've seen that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have an incredible, an incredible inheritance. So amazing that when, when seen clearly in perspective, all of the trials, all of the suffering that you may go through in this life don't even matter. Now, I realize that's a bold statement, but it's true. That's how awesome what we have in Christ is. You are also, if you've stepped over that line, if if you have faith Christ, if you have placed your faith, your trust, your hope in Jesus Christ, if you stepped over that line, you're a chosen people, you're a chosen person. God has picked you because he wanted you in his family. You're holy. You're completely set apart, uniquely belonging to God. And we've been talking about this over the last seven weeks as we've gone through 1 Peter. You're also part of a royal priesthood with direct access to God. All the barriers, all the the, the curtain that in the old temple and the Jewish system, you know, separated people from God, that temple, that curtain, that that, that veil has been ripped, it's been torn down. There's no other mediator that, that you or I need. There's one mediator, and that mediator is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that means that you can come boldly with confidence like a little child coming saying, Daddy, Daddy, to his throne of mercy and grace. Anytime that you want to. Well, that's what Peter has told us so far about what God has done for us. And each and every time he tells us what God has done for us, he tells us what that means, what, you know, what, that, what that makes us. And then he says, now this is how you ought to live. And we've observed this cycle as we've been marching through Peter so far. God has done, you have become, therefore, this is how you act. God has done, you've become, therefore, this is how you act. And guess what? Peter's not going to stop. He's going to keep going, going through this through the rest of his epistle, his letter here. We're in the midst of one of those passages right now, and he's explaining what life should be like. And how we should live if indeed we are representing God to those who don't know him. And if we are a royal priesthood, set apart for God, gifted for ministry, ambassadors of Jesus with all the rights, the privileges, and the responsibilities. Note, a lot of people want the rights and privileges, but they don't want the responsibilities that go with it. He says, therefore, this is how you ought to live. We've already seen some of it last week, and we saw, therefore, here's how you deal with an antagonistic government. Could be a governor. Um, Here's how you deal with with a Nero who was persecuting and, and killing Christians. He said, respect the position. Never slander. Honor. Submit to the leaders of the Lord is allowed to rise up over you, even if you don't understand why in the world God would do that. 
We saw that we may disagree with a policy, but there's never a time or place to slander those who are in authority over us because we represent God, because we are a royal priesthood, not because they deserve it, but because he's asked us to. Today we move from how do we respond to a government at that point where it's incredibly antagonistic to how you respond in the marketplace, in the workforce. In the Greco-Roman culture that Peter was writing, most people were either free men or slaves. Either they owned a business of their own where they worked or they, or they produced something or they fixed something or they were slaves. They were owned by somebody. They were responsible to somebody. They had control over their life. And often, if you worked for somebody, you were a slave. And, and he gives instructions here to slaves who were royal priests, followers of Jesus, representing the king and how to live. And once again, it was to show respect, to honor, to submit, not only to those who are considerate, as we're going to see, but also to those who are harsh, because Jesus is asking you to do it, because you are representing him. And then he goes on after that into the workplace, uh, from the workplace to our family settings in a culture where marriages were most oftentimes arranged and you didn't have a choice whom you married. He said, here's how you respond when you're stuck with the one that you didn't pick, who doesn't like your God. Here's what you do once again. It was respect, honor, submit. We're going to look at that in depth next week. And then after that, he moves on to another family, our spiritual family, the, the body of Christ. And he said, sometimes you're stuck in a family that has some jerks in it. Anybody feel me? Anybody understand what I'm talking about here? Don't look at them. And, and so you're, you're kind of glad that, that, that heaven's big and that maybe they won't be near you for, for eternity. But here's what you do. Again, you bear with one another. You honor them. You respect them. Now, there's a theme throughout it, and, and, and we're calling that theme our strange calling. The strange calling that God has in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, as men and women who have been chosen, men and women who have been appointed within this, 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 this royal priesthood to represent him, who have full access to him. And he says, here is your calling. Always return good for evil. It isn't always easy, is it? And he says, represent me well. Now today we're going to take a deep dive into, into one section of this passage, the passage that deals with the workplace in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to, to 25. And what I want to do is I want to read through the passage, kind of a, a running commentary. I'm going to point out some things as, as we go through it, and then we're going to step back and try to answer all the, what I call the, the yeah buts, you know, the really tough questions that come when we look at a passage like this. And I'm going to ask you to hang with me because I realize we've got people from, from many different, that are in different places in their life here. We've got some people I know that are still in the workforce. We've got people, some people that are retired. We've got some kids here today. Hallelujah for kids being here. And as we're going to see over the next couple of weeks, the principles that are in here apply to our relationships in general. And while you may say, well, that doesn't apply to me right now because I'm retired or I'm not in the work, workforce, you know, maybe you'll hear something that'll help you later. Or maybe you'll hear something that could help you with your kid or your grandkids sometime, sometime your, one of your loved ones. Well, let's go. Let's look at for, first off here at the first uh, verse of this in verse 18. He says, Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now, 
I'm going to stop right there this first verse and point out a couple things to make sure we understand because some people get hung up right there and say, well, I'm not a slave, so let me just skip on to the next verse. Let me skip on the rest. We need to understand that, that slavery in the New Testament is a completely different type of slavery than, than we had in our history here in the United States. In our history, we know that it was a, a racially motivated slavery, that, that it was a slavery that considered some men and women to be less human than other men and women. And this was totally counter to the teaching of, of Scripture. But back in the days of the Roman Empire, the, the Greco-Roman world, ancient antiquity, slavery was basically mostly made up, usually made up of, of people where the nation was conquered and the conquering nation took the nation they conquered as their slaves. You can read about it in the, in the Old Testament. It happened over and over again. And there, things happened even in the New Testament. We can see uh, teachings about slaves. And so those, those workers, those people became slaves of the other nation. And so, for instance, you have Daniel. When Nebuchadnezzar went in and conquered Jerusalem in the Old Testament, he came from Babylon, and he took Daniel and some other young Hebrew guys off, and they took them off to Babylon, and we'll talk about him some more in a, in a, little, in a few minutes. But he put him into his service as his slaves. And back then, some historians estimate that, that, that as high as 60% of the Roman workforce was made up of what we would call slaves. And a slave would be a person who really didn't have the ability to just pick up stakes and move on to another job or go someplace else. Now, some of the slaves were actually slaves by choice. They were much like what we've had even in our, in our country, the indentured servants, people that came to this country. Some people came here agreeing to work for someone for a number of years at, for their passage from, from England or wherever over here, and then they got their, got their freedom. But until that time, they were indentured, and they were, for practical purposes, a slave. They couldn't just move on. They were in debt, and they paid it off that way. Sometimes slaves in, in history were the equivalent of the, the homeless or the poor, and they would go to someone and say, look, if you put a roof over my head and give me some bread to eat, then, then I will serve you, I will work for you for X amount of time. Now, but you just, to be sure, you know, compared to today, this back then was a very brutal culture. It was a very brutal society. There's no getting around that. This was, you know, you ever watch Gladiator, the guys in the ring? Those guys were slaves. Those guys that had to duke it out to the death in the ring for the pleasure and amusement of the, of the Roman onlookers. So if you were a slave back then, if you had a slave, you could beat them. You could do whatever you wanted to them. There were no unions. There were no groups. There was no uh, any of the people that would try to watch out for the rights of the slaves. No one lobbying for those that were not in power. And it was incredibly incredibly rough, incre incredibly harsh. But what I want you to grasp as we read this passage, that we're reading it, and, and look, there's it's an ancient principle. It's an ancient principle here that God is teaching that is very applicable to today. And I want us to make an, a modern application of this ancient principle. The closest application we would have would be someone who's in the employment of someone else. And so I'm going to dig into that in a couple minutes. It may not apply to you directly, but again, you could help you to mentor your kid or your grandkid somewhere along the way. Now this word submit, the word submit, what does it mean? It's not a blind submission. It's got some boundaries to it that we're going to look at. There's no, ways, uh, no way to get around it, though, that at its core, the word submit means to serve someone else. And it means to serve them well. To do what they ask you to do, again, within certain boundaries. Obviously, to put their needs and their interests above your own. 
And so when we're told to submit to the governing authorities, as we saw last week in 1 Peter and in Romans 12, 13, it means to obey them. Whether or not the laws are good, whether or not we agree with the laws or not, whether or not we like them or not. At its essence, to submit means to serve. In the marketplace, the slave or the employee, it means that. In the marriage, where it tells wives to submit, it means that. Now, the good news for women is that it also says that there's a mutual submission here. Sorry, guys. We'll be looking in depth at that next week. That passage is often ignored, particularly when being taught by male teachers. But we're going to get to it next week. I want you to catch something else, though. We don't do it. We don't submit. We don't do it because they deserve it. We do it because God asked us to. And that's so important. In reverent fear of the Lord, that is why we submit. Now, last week we saw when it comes to relating to the government and showing it respect, we saw that it said to, to submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Now, you may not like it, but you can't get any clearer than that. You see, the moment we see the, the why behind it, I believe it becomes more, e uh, more easier, uh, becomes easier to do. Because we don't do it for any other reason other than that the Lord asks us to. We do this because of Him. We do this because we are representing Him. We do this because He asks us to do it. Now, today's passage goes on in verse 19. He's already said to do good for those who are good and considerate, as well as those masters who are harsh. And he continues and says, For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. That's why we're calling this our strange calling. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. What do you do with an example? You follow it. Leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And then he says, now remember Jesus, and he quotes an Old Testament scripture from Isaiah. He says, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Speaking about Jesus again. Jesus was completely innocent. He did no wrong. And when you feel that you're being treated unjustly, unfairly, remember him. No one has ever faced more injustice. No one has ever faced or will ever face more unfairness than what Jesus faced. And look at how he responded. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And then Peter goes on, he says, he himself, he bore our sins in his body. So when Jesus is asking us to have this response toward government leaders, towards the master, towards the boss at the workplace, towards the, the spouse in the difficult marriage, towards the jerk fellow Christian, Peter says, don't forget, Jesus had no reason at all to receive the abuse that he faced, and yet he didn't 
retaliate. He did not make threats. He trusted the Heavenly Father. And don't forget, it was your sins and my sins that he was bearing when he went through all of this. So the moment we start to go, yeah, but, Peter, you know, Peter's like, no, 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 no. He's back in our face saying, hey, Jesus did this for you. Now you need to do what he asks you to do. And that changes it all. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep gone astray, but now you've been returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Because of his sacrifice, his wounds on the cross, we have a cure for the penalty of sin. Now, here's what I want to do. I've given you the context of this passage, the bigger picture, talked about the the royal priesthood, how we represent God, how we're supposed to interact with government in the workplace, with family, with church, the same principle of respect and honor and serve and submit and all that. If I ended the message right now, you'd say, wow, that was quick. If I sent you on your way, you'd have some Bible information But God, in his word, he instructs us in how to live. The principles in God's word are are timeless. They apply then, and they apply now. And the truth is, most of us have a tendency to read certain verses and say, well, that's true for most people, but that doesn't apply to me, because my situation is is unique. Everybody thinks that they're the, the exception. So let's pretend that we're at a coffee shop and we're sitting down having a cup of whatever your favorite hot beverage is there. It's a little bit chilly. That'd be good today. And you say, Walt, what the heck do you mean by that? You say, yeah, but what about this? Well, I want to go through some of those, answer some of those questions that, that this passage would raise in today in a 21st century modern context. I want to look at some real life answers to tough questions. And it's there in your, in your life notes. I want to spend this time looking at those yeah buts and and looking at the pushbacks that I know come up in light of this this passage. So here we go. The first one is, why should I obey and honor a godless boss? Anybody have to work for someone that you just, this person didn't seem to have any morals, any any fear of God, didn't seem to have any any bearing there? You know, I have, and it's, it's tough, isn't it? You know, people say, Walt, you don't understand how evil this person is. I probably could. You know, you don't understand how much they hate God. Yeah, I can understand that too. You don't understand what a jerk this boss is. And, the, and, and the, by the way, the company's corrupt. Am I really supposed to do this? Am I really supposed to submit to them? And my answer is the same one that I gave you a few moments ago. Yes. Why? Because Jesus asked you to. I have no better answer than that, but I think it is sufficient He saved us from hell. He's paid the penalty. He's made us full on sons and daughters, forgiven of our sins. He's adopted us into his family. He shares his inheritance with us. And so I don't understand why, but I do understand the command. So we live in light of that. We live in light of that. I want you to see a couple of the verses that bear this up. And in Colossians 3, verse 22, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters. And so you can just... Take out slaves and put workers and put boss. Workers, obey your earthly bosses in everything. That's an interesting word there. What does everything mean? Everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence of who? Of reverence for the Lord. 
Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. And this is tough sometimes, but you know, that's, there's been times in my life uh, where I've had to do that, to say, you know, I'm not doing this for that, you know, that I'm having to work for. I'm doing it for God because I represent God. Because God's put me in this place, and there's, there's probably a lesson here that I need to learn. There's something that I'm going to learn. And, and, and one principle, I'll tell you, if, if you don't learn the lesson the first time, guess what happens? God's in remedial training. I've learned that. If you didn't learn it from the first jerk boss, guess what? He's going to give you another one down the line, try to teach you that same lesson next time. It's also seen in, in 1 Timothy 6.1, where it says, All who are under the yoke of slavery, or all who are working for someone, should consider their masters worthy, worthy of what? Full respect. Why? So that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Again, it's being done for the Lord's sake, because we represent God, because we are a royal priesthood. And by the way, there's two great, great examples in the Old Testament that we're going to be looking at one of them in depth later on, but, but you might want to take a look uh, this, later this week at Daniel or at Joseph. Daniel's got a whole book that bears his name. Then you got Joseph. The story of Joseph starts about midway through the, through the book of Genesis. And, and in both of these cases, you have men who were forced to serve godless masters. And what they did is they served them so well that they kept on getting promoted. Well, do you promote people who have an attitude? Not usually. Do you promote people who don't work hard? No. Do you promote people that don't advance your cause? No. These were wicked, godless people. But Daniel and Joseph understood the principle that we're talking about today. And here's the irony. As they did what God told them to do, serving a godless master, that they had no choice of who was over them, as they did this, they kept rising up and up and up, and they earned the right to be listened to. And by the end of the day, in each of their cases, they'd risen so high that they were speaking into the Pharaoh's life. They were, Daniel was speaking into King Nebuchadnezzar's life, and they were put in charge of the entire country that they were there. They were second only to the top cheese, who basically said, hey, you run it. You're doing such a great job, you run it. Glorifying and bringing God and bringing awareness to God is what they did as a result of this. Would Pharaoh or would Nebuchadnezzar have known or seen God if it hadn't been for a Joseph or a Daniel? And I want to guarantee that the beginning of the process, when they were, when they were first having to make that choice, when they were having to figure out, am I going to serve this ungodly person or am I going to, am I going to chafe at it? There's no way they could have known the outcome. There's no way they could have known where they would have ended up in the end. They never would have guessed that they would someday rise to the pinnacle all the way to the top through God's remarkable path and have the influence that they had. What was actually in front of them was just as confusing as it is to us. Why would I do this? Because God said so. The second question that you may ask is, does submitting mean that I have to stay in a horrible situation? You so anytime you teach on this, on this subject, there's some people who hear this and, they, and they, they think they or they hear, even if you're in an abusive situation, like an abusive marriage or other abusive situation, you have to stay there. Well, I want to be very clear, quite clear. Does submitting mean that you have to stay in a terrible situation, an abusive situation? The answer is no. An emphatic no. Write down no with an explanation point. No, you don't have to stay there. 
1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 21 is profoundly important because in, in this passage, the Apostle Paul is essentially telling God's people, you need to bloom where you're planted. He says, if you're a Jew, stay a Jew. If you're an uncircumcised Gentile, stay a Gentile if you're following God. You don't have to follow all of the Jewish laws and such and like that. If you're married, stay married. If you're single and you can't stay single, stay single. And then he goes on to slaves and he says, Slaves, serve your masters well. Same stuff we've been seeing. But he goes on and he says, But if you can gain your freedom, if you can change your situation, then do so. You see, these commands are not commands where we go when we, we look for difficult situations to be under. They're not commands for, for when we have no option and we're stuck in a difficult situation. If you can gain your freedom, do so. If you're going to slander your boss, if you hate your boss, if you hate your job, you hate your workplace, the simple answer is then quit. But then people say, well, I can't quit. Why can't you quit? Well, I need the money. Well, you told me that your boss is a dirtbag and the company's corrupt and you hate everything about it. Well, quit. Well, I can't quit. Well, well go find another job. Well, I can't get another job. There's not a, there's not a better job than this available. I'm like, okay, and you end up on this merry-go-round, stuck there. These commands are for when you're stuck. They're not commands for that, that say, well, you're supposed to go and try to get stuck. Back then, if you were a slave and you can find your freedom, he says, go for it. But those of you that can't, here's what you do. You submit, you honor, you show respect, you represent God well. The third real life tough question. Does submitting mean I have to do whatever I'm told? Well, I'm going to give you three situations here. I've put them in your life notes, and I want you to circle the answers. The first one is this. If, if what you're asked to do is legal and moral, the answer is yes. There's no other way around it. What if it's hard? The answer is yes, if it's legal and moral. What if it's annoying? The answer is yes, if it's legal and moral. Whether they're watching you, are not watching you, the answer is yes. Secondly, well, what if it's stupid and unfair? I mean, this is absolutely unstupid. It's absolutely unfair. Guess what submitting means? The answer is yes. And that's where a lot of us buck. This is, you know, we think this is stupid. We don't want to submit when it's not agreeable to us. We want to second guess the boss the master, whoever's over us. And, and, and I've been under authority, and I've been the one in authority. Many times, I've second-guessed my bosses. Anybody here not? And I thought I knew better, or I knew the way. Well, I learned, particularly as I got into, into more senior in, in arenas, that when I'm down here, I don't always understand the bigger picture, do I? And you don't either. The same way that I don't understand, you know, the Scripture tells us that God's ways aren't our ways. God's ways are infinitely higher than my ways, and so that's why God says submit, we submit. But we want to second guess. We want to second guess the, the master. Sometimes we even want to second guess the boss or God. Have you heard of the rule of the roof? If you're living under my roof, you're going to follow my rules. I mean, there's, there's rules in the East House that even if, you're, even if you're an adult and you come and are guests in my house, there's some things I would expect. You know, no offense to smokers here, but I don't want you smoking in my house. I'm probably going to ask you, you know, can you take off your shoes at the door? Because that's what we do in the East House. That's, that's our rules in our house. And, and I go to other people's houses. You know, Pauline's all the time, Walt, don't take off your shoes. And I just, I tell her, Lou's got me trained. I take off my shoes when I go into somebody's house. It's just what, what we do. It, it was the same way with my kids. If you're going to live under my roof, you're going to follow my rules. 
Now, I'm not going to be some kind of hyper-restrictive parent or something like that. If you don't like them, you have a choice. But the same thing goes, you could say, the, the rule of the paycheck. If you want my paycheck, then you're going to have to do the work assigned. You're going to have to do the, the way that I've assigned you to do it. And those of you that own businesses and those of you that have been in, in positions of authority or supervising other people, you understand that. You need to be able to count on the workers, the people you assign work to, to do it when you want them to do it or when you tell them to do it and the way that you told them to do it. Third situation, if it's illegal or immoral, the answer there is no. Submission is not blind. It doesn't mean you do that which is illegal or that which is immoral. In Acts chapter 4 and 5, it happens two times where, where Peter and the guys are, 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 are preaching in the temple and they're arrested and chastised, uh, in one case beaten, and, and the, the authorities say, don't do this anymore. And Peter basically says, well, we've got to choose between answering to God or answering to you, and God's told us to share this gospel about Jesus, so whether we obey God or obey you, we have no choice there. We're going to obey God. Do whatever you want with us, beat us, throw us in prison, but we're going to continue obeying God. You see the same thing in, in Exodus, near the end of chapter 1 of the book of Exodus. There's a story about the Hebrew midwives. And the Jews, they were slaves in, in Egypt. They were having kids like rabbits, and, and there were more and more and more of them, and Pharaoh got concerned about that. And so, so Pharaoh gave an order that the midwives would kill every male child that was born. This was in the time frame when Moses was born. And the midwives disobeyed that, and the little boys kept living. And so Pharaoh's uh, officials called the midwives and said, what's up with this? And they said, oh, oh, well, those, those Hebrew women, they, they get birth so quick. They get through labor so quick that by the time we get there, it's, it's done deal. And so they refused to kill the children. And the passage goes on and says that God blessed them with their own children because of that. Later in the Old Testament, you have Daniel's three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're told to bow down before a huge statue of the evil king and to, and to worship it. They weren't going to do that, so the king ordered them thrown in the fiery furnace. And they stood up and said, King, you can have us thrown in, but we're still not going to bow down to it. And they, they told him, I love this, they said, Our God can deliver us, but don't miss what they say after that. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to do it. That's a cool story because God did deliver them from the fire. And then later, Daniel, as we know, was thrown in a lion's den because he obeyed God and Daniel lived. Now, don't get from this, if I honor God, I can't be killed, okay? That's not what these stories teach. That's not what God's Word's teaching. The truth of the matter is, how many people have been delivered from the fire in history? Three that we know of, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? There are many other Christians dedicated Christians, Christians full of faith, praying Christians that have perished at the stake or in other ways. How many have been thrown to the lions and gotten out of it? Well, we know Daniel did. There may have been others, but many others who were loyal, faithful, dedicated to the Lord, God did not intervene. He chose not to intervene in those cases. So the lesson isn't that you're going to come out unscathed. The lesson is that you accept whatever consequences are, and God does what God does. Now, submission doesn't mean that you give up your legal rights. Just as forgiveness does not mean that there's no consequences. Somebody that's going through a very difficult situation and they're, they're using their legal rights 
They may wonder, if that's returning, is that returning evil for evil? No, it's not. The Apostle Paul, when he was in, when he was in Jerusalem and being arrested there near the end of, the end of his journeys, he appealed to the fact that he was a Roman citizen. He said, guys, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen, so I appeal to Caesar. So I have the right to go to Rome and have Caesar hear my, my case rather than being judged here by the Jews. See, Jesus didn't have that right because Jesus wasn't a Roman citizen. Well, this brings us to the question, how do I respond? How do I respond when I'm ordered to do something that is immoral or illegal? And I want to jump back to Daniel for a minute. Daniel is the perfect example. It's, it's a case study in how to handle these things. As I mentioned earlier, he was kidnapped, and he was taken to Babylon with a lot of his buddies. And he, his name was changed from Daniel, which means God is my judge, to Belshazzar, which means Bel, a heathen god, a pagan god, is my protector. He was forced to, to study Babylonian culture. He was forced to study about the Babylonian government, about the Babylonian language for three years. And at the end of it, he was supposed to then be in the employ in the, in the court of the king, this evil king that was not a godly man named Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel submitted to all of those things. But along the way, there was one other thing that he was told to do. He was to eat from the king's table, and the diet was absolutely non-kosher. The rabbi wouldn't have approved. Things that, it was things that God had prohibited Jews from eating. Now, there wasn't a, a Bible verse to, or a command that said, you cannot be called Bel as my protector. There wasn't one that said you can't study about Babylonian culture and language and such. There wasn't one that said you can't serve this godless king. But there was one that said, this is what you eat and this is what you don't eat. And this is basically what Daniel did. He went to the chief official who had respect for Daniel because of the way Daniel had previously carried himself, the way he had responded. God had given, had given Daniel favor in this man's eyes. And Daniel asked this official, he said, are substitutes allowed? Can I have the substitute diet? And the guy said, I'd love to do it, but you need to understand, if you're not looking well after this time, Nebuchadnezzar's not only going to have your head, but he's going to have my head as well. So then Daniel came up with a creative alternative. He goes to the jailer, the one who, who, who he interacted with daily, and he makes him a very simple request. He says, hey, why don't for just 10 days you let me eat this? Me and my buddies, we're just going to eat this for 10 days. And then at the end of that 10 days, you judge whether we're doing worse or not. And then do whatever you want to do. He was incredibly reasonable. He didn't have a chip on his shoulder. He wasn't threatening. He wasn't going to say, well, I'm going to bring down fire and brimstone from Yahweh on you. No. And what happened? The guy goes, okay. And at the end of those 10 days, Daniel and his friends looked better than everybody else that was eating the choice foods from the king's table. And so during the entire three years of their training, they got veggie burgers. Now, fill this in on your life notes. When you're asked to do something immoral or illegal, respectfully, and I can't stress that word enough, respectfully push back pushback. And one of the things that hurts Christians so often is our lack of respect for those who are against the things that we are for. That lack of respect. Secondly, seek out a creative alternative. Well, what about this little 10-day test? Seek out a creative alternative. And thirdly, accept the consequences. You can do with us whatever you want at the end of that 10 days. Just as Jesus bore the consequences of his righteousness, 
Sometimes we bear the consequences of our righteousness, and they're not always what we like. We're not all delivered from the lion's den. We're not all delivered from the fiery furnace. God will be with us, though, even in the furnace, even in the lion's den. Now, the last principle is this. Yeah, but Walt, you don't understand. I'm in an impossible situation. So what if you are in an impossible situation? Well, here's what you do in impossible situations. Romans 12, verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. I don't know about you, but just following those one, two, three, four, five, six, seven or eight words, man, I could, you know, that's a struggle of a lifetime sometimes, isn't it? Someone does evil to you, what do you want? What's our reaction? What's our natural reaction? Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, get them back. I don't get mad, I get even, right? Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on who? On you. Live at peace with whom? Everyone. Do not take revenge, my folks. Man. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, what do you do? You feed him. If he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And that's a cultural thing that was said back then. It doesn't mean you're going to be, you know, burning him up and, you know, that kind of thing. But then finally, do not be overcome by evil, but... Overcome evil with good. As far as possible, as far as it's within your power, live at peace with everyone. I love that so far as possible phrase because of the fact that there are some situations where you can't. You know, Jesus has set the example of not retaliating, not, not bringing threats of returning good for evil, but he was still killed. And he tried to be at peace with, with the folks, but what, are you at peace with, with, with folks when they're crucifying you, when they're nailing you to a cross? Every one of the apostles, except one, died a martyr's death. They were beaten. They were thrown into prison. They weren't at peace with everyone, but they tried to be at peace. It was within their power. They made sure that, that they did not return evil for evil, so far as possible. Now, let me tie all this up today. In a, in a sense, all that we said last week and what we're going to see over the next couple of weekends as we're dealing with family and as we're going to deal with, with the body of Christ, with the essence of this. As a royal priesthood, you and I are followers of Jesus for His sake. In reverent fear of Him, because it is His will to, for us to return good for evil. The bottom line is, it's a trust issue. It's a matter of who are you going to trust. When life isn't making sense, are you going to lean on your own understanding? Are you going to lean on your, on your own bent to do it your own way? Are you going to lean on His and let Him make your path straight? We make some things very difficult when at the core they're very simple. Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust Christ when He tells you to do something that maybe in the moment doesn't seem to make sense? I don't know about you, but when I look back at my track record, when I trust myself, it's not always perfect, okay? When I look at his track record, when I trust him, it's not always easy. It's not always fun. 
but it is always right. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mall and the ministry of Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at svmin.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day.